Welcome to Every Moment His, a podcast dedicated to how God's preached word affects every moment of our daily lives. This sermon was preached by Pastor John Rasmussen at Holy Cross Lutheran Church. Our scripture reading for this evening is from Matthew chapter 18, verses 5 through 9. I'd really encourage you to grab a Bible. Uh, It's really important that we would see these words in front of us uh, as we uh, hear the words of this sermon. We're going to be really going verse by verse uh, through the text. So Matthew 18, uh, it's page 823 in the Pew Bible. We'll start at verse 5 and go through verse 9. Now, as I read these words, remember that we are talking in this Lenten season about reconciliation with others. And uh, this is a good chapter because, uh, for that topic because really I would say that Matthew 18 is given to us by Jesus uh, to teach us how we live together in community as Christians. Uh, so Matthew 18, 5 through 9. Jesus says, Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and to be drowned in the depth of the sea. Woe to the world for temptations to sin. For it is necessary that temptations come, but woe to the one by whom the temptation comes. And if your hand or your foot causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life crippled or lame than with two hands or two feet to be thrown into the eternal fire. And if your eyes cause you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into the hell of fire. O Lord, have mercy upon us. So the main point of our sermon tonight is this, is that the only way that a Christian community can experience unity, peace, and growth is by each of you here tonight cutting off your hands and your feet and plucking out your eyes. Sound like fun? All right, I've got your attention, so let's uh, hear what Jesus means. Let's dig into the text. So let's look first at verses 5 through 6. We heard these verses last week, but they're really connected uh, to the text we read tonight. In your Bible, likely there's a paragraph division, uh, and verses 5 through 6 belong to paragraph 1, right? And then uh, verses 7 through 9 belong to another paragraph. That's the way the editors of the ESV version have done this. Now, remember when when these words were written down uh, by the gospel writers, they didn't have any chapters, verses, or paragraph divisions. Those are modern. So um, we need to remember that um, verses 5 through 6 are very, very connected to uh, the following verses, 7 through 9. And really, they're connected by two things. Number one little ones, and number two, causing to sin or tempting. And so we need to talk about what these two things mean if we're going to understand this text. So what does Jesus mean by little ones and causing one of these little ones to sin? So verses five through six, 
Jesus says, whoever receives one such child in my name receives me, but whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and to be drowned in the depth of the sea. So what does Jesus mean by little ones? What does he mean by causing one of these little ones to sin? Now, you might remember last week, at the beginning of the chapter, Jesus was approached by the disciples who had a question. Do you remember the question? Who is the greatest? Who's number one? And Jesus just levels, absolutely levels the pride of these disciples by telling them that this little child is number one. He calls a child, brings that child into the midst of them and says, if you want to enter the kingdom, you must turn and become like one of these little children. Now you'll notice in verse uh, five and six that Jesus makes uh, a change. He makes a transition from talking about little children to talking about little ones. And if you read the the rest of chapter 18, you're going to see Jesus talk about little ones. So for example, in verse 10, Jesus says, uh, do not despise one of these little ones. And then he goes on to tell a parable about how Jesus will go out and find just one little one who goes astray, right? He's the good shepherd. And then he talks about, um, uh, in in verse 15, I believe, uh, he says, it's not the will of my father that not a single one of these little ones would perish. And so Jesus has moved from talking about little children to talking about little ones. Now, if we read the whole chapter, we find out that a little one is not necessarily a child, like a seven, eight-year-old. But an adult can actually be a little one. So here's a good uh, definition of little ones from a commentary. It says this. Little ones are those Christians who are most often marginalized or whom we'd be tempted to marginalize due to a lack of wealth, a lack of health, a lack of giftedness, or maybe spiritual maturity. These are those with little resources, little social standing, and perhaps little faith. These are those who are prone to wander like the one lost sheep. And so this is what Jesus means by little ones. Uh, These are those maybe who have low standing in the community. They don't have a lot of social strength. Uh, Maybe they uh, are on the fringe of the community. They're easily going astray and not very mature spiritually. But you'll see that these are precious incredibly precious to Jesus, and he defends them fiercely. Now, what does Jesus mean by cause to sin, as in cause one of these little ones to sin? Now, you might remember from last week that uh, there's a footnote in your Bible, right? Did you find the footnote? We talked about this last week. This is why it's important to have the Bible open, uh, because you can finally understand what all those footnotes mean. So, uh, look at footnote 7, If you're using the ESV version that we have in the pews, look at footnote 7 in verse 6. Cause to sin means what? Cause to stumble, right? Cause to stumble. And so the idea here, it, it means that you cause somebody to stumble in their faith, you needlessly offend somebody, or even cause somebody to fall away and abandon the Christian faith. And so with that in mind, let's read verse 7. In verse 7, Jesus says, Woe to the world for temptations to sin. 
For it is necessary that temptations come, but woe to the one by whom the temptation comes. Now you'll notice there's another footnote, right? Look at the footnote right next to temptations to sin in the first sentence there of verse 7. In the Pew Bibles, this is footnote number 8. And what does it say? Stumbling blocks, right? Uh, so when, and really these words are connected. So, so in verse uh, 6, you have a verb, cause to stumble. And in verse 7, we have a noun, stumbling block. They're, if you look at them in Greek, they're almost the same word. And so a stumbling block means that, that you uh, cause somebody to sin, you tempt somebody, you cause somebody weaker in the faith, a little one, to stumble, trip, or even fall away. And so I share that with you just so you can see that even though those words are translated differently, they're really kind of the same thing. Now we see this word come up often in Scripture. Now remember last week I said that sometimes there can be a cause for stumbling uh, that, that you're not guilty of. So remember, Jesus himself caused people to stumble. It was just the preaching and the teaching of Jesus that was so truthful, right, that ran into people's deception and their unbelief uh, that just caused people to walk away from Jesus. They tripped. Or in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, uh, the Apostle Paul says that the message of the cross, that the proclamation that Christ was crucified and risen from the dead and that salvation is found in no one else, this is a stone that people trip over. But here we're talking about a stone of stumbling, a cause for offense uh, that would be a negative. It'd be something that we would be held accountable for. So a couple examples. Paul in Romans 14, he's talking about those Christians who are weaker in the faith, who have a very sensitive conscience about debated manners, uh, matters. So Paul says in Romans 14, 13, he says, Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or a hindrance in the way of a brother. Or Paul says in 1 Corinthians 8, 13, as he's discussing the question of, can you eat meat that's been sacrificed to idols? He says, Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble... I will never eat meat lest I make my brother stumble. It's the same word, that, that uh, idea of tripping over something. Paul's talking about those who are weak in their faith and who have a sensitive conscience. If you think back to our Romans series this past year, uh, we talked about in Romans 14, this text I just quoted, about uh, agreeing in essentials, being united around essentials, right? Right? but not dividing the church over non-essentials, those things that Christians don't always agree on. And so that's what Paul's talking about here, that we would not cause to stumble uh, these little ones, these ones with weaker faith or less mature. Now, I want you to note the strong warning that Jesus gives to those who would cause one of his little ones to stumble and fall. Remember last week we heard he talks about millstones around the neck. That's a quick way to die, right? Um, Jesus is being very serious here. Or notice that he uses the word woe. The word woe in both the prophets and in the words of Jesus means um, woe to you. It's a, it's a term of pending judgment. 
And so, for example, when Jonah went to Nineveh, his message was woe because destruction's coming. Um, now, why would Jesus speak so severely, right? Well, it's because of the intense love that Jesus has for his beloved people. Just like you or I would feel intense anger if we heard that children were abused or neglected, right? So also Jesus is a fierce enemy of anyone who would harm the faith of his little ones who are weak in the faith. So go back again to verse 7. Jesus says, woe to what? Woe to the world because of temptations. Now we know as Christians that the world is full of temptations. The world is full of things that make little ones stumble in their faith. There's a thousand things in this world that would cause people to abandon their faith in Christ or stray from the church. And Jesus Christ himself will be the judge of these things. Jesus Christ, as the judge of all, has a day of wrath against everyone who persecutes his children. He has a day of wrath against the university professor who tries to publicly undermine and ridicule the Christian faith of impressionable students. He has a day of wrath against everyone who creates, uploads, and shares pornography. He has a day of wrath against those who traffic and enslave and oppress. He has a day of wrath against those who lead his little ones into addictions. Because certainly these are the things that cannot enter the kingdom of God. And so Jesus will rightly judge those things that have harmed the faith of his little ones. And so we know the world stands guilty of causing little ones to stumble, but causes of stumbling can sometimes be closer to home. And that, I believe, is the point of Jesus' words here. With that in mind, let's look at verses 8 and 9. Jesus says in verses 8 and 9, And if your hand causes or your foot causes you to sin or causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life crippled or lame than with two hands or two feet to be thrown into the eternal fire. And if your eye causes you to sin, meaning causes you to stumble, same word there, tear it out and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into the hell of fire. Now notice the emphasis on the words your and you. If your hand or your foot causes you to sin, if your eye causes you to sin, Jesus moves from warning against causes of stumbling in the world to now pointing the finger at our sinful nature. That old Adam and that old Eve, that old unregenerate person that has no regard for others and wants to cross the boundaries that God has set for us. Jesus is saying it's not just the world that can cause little ones to stumble. It's sometimes actually, sadly, tragically, sometimes it can be the very church of Christ that can cause little ones to stumble through our own entanglement with sin when we don't guard our hands, our feet, or our eyes. And so have you ever seen another Christian harmed in their faith 
because of the sins of another Christian. I mean, we can think of really extreme examples, right? Like, for example, the sexual abuse crisis in the Roman Catholic Church. These things happened and continued to happen because hands and feet were not severed and eyes were not torn out. We'll talk about that more in a moment. And because uh, eyes were not torn out, hands were not severed, and feet were not severed, little ones were caused to stumble, sometimes in a way where people will not return to the faith. Of course, that's a very extreme example. But what about more common examples? How about something that you might post on social media that is offensive, untrue, contrary to God's word, that might hinder a new Christian from growing in her faith? We have to think about that when we use social media. Am I representing Christ well? Is anything that I would post, would it cause somebody to maybe new to the Christian faith to look at the faith and say, I don't know if I want to be a part of that? Or what about a conflict that you've had with somebody in the church that led to gossip or outright hostility? What you do with your hands, the paths your feet follow, the places your eyes wander, the things that your lips speak, all of these have great implications, great impact, not just on you and your soul, but also on the souls around you, the community of Christians that God has made you a part of. We often think that sin is a personal issue. It's something just between me and God. This is true especially of secret sins, those sins that nobody knows about. And so what's the harm, we might think? But friends, this is just simply not true. Even the secret sins that are hidden from everyone in this community have a way of weakening and harming all of us. Let me just give you one example from Scripture. Raise your hand if you've heard the story of Joshua and Jericho. You heard that story, right? If you were in Sunday school for like five minutes, you heard that. It's a pretty popular one. So you remember God gives the land of Canaan to Israel. Joshua leads Israel to a decisive victory over the city of Jericho. The walls come tumbling down. We know that story. Most Sunday school curriculums include it. I would say that most, though, do not include what happens in the next chapter. So that was Joshua 6. In Joshua 7, Israel goes up against the city of Ai, and they experience a crushing defeat. Now, God had commanded Israel to not take any of the silver or the gold of the cities for themselves. These things were to be devoted to the Lord as holy. They would be later used in worship in the tabernacle and temple. And so all of Israel knew, Joshua told them, these things are off limits. But there was a man from the tribe of Judah named Achan who had coveted some of the gold and the silver of Jericho and he took it secretly for himself and hid it in his tent. And scripture goes on to tell us that it was his act of disobedience that caused Israel to experience such a crushing defeat and even the loss of life. And the same is true for us. 
Our secret sins, meaning when we do not cut off our hands, our feet, or tear out our eyes, our secret sins have a way of bringing down the spiritual temperature in our community, leading us into lukewarmness. Secret, unconfessed sin in a church will always make us weak and ineffective in making disciples. And we should not be surprised when we fail and we struggle in fulfilling the Great Commission. So what's the solution to this? How do we guard against causing a brother or a sister from stumbling because of our sins? Jesus himself says it clearly. He says, cut off your hands and your feet and tear out your eyes. Now, this would be a good conversation for the way home for our younger people. Obviously, Jesus is not telling you to literally sever your limbs or pull out your eyes. Because if we took this literally, all of us would be missing both hands, both feet, and both eyes, correct? All of us, every single one of us. Jesus is speaking in hyperbole. But he's doing this to get our attention. Jesus wants us to know that sin is no neutral force. It's not something that we can coddle. It's not something that we can, you know, keep as a pet. Its aim is to kill us and nothing less. Jesus is talking about putting to death in ourselves any sinful tendency. It means cutting off sin at the start before it can take root and grow into attitudes, words, or actions that harm ourselves and hurt others. Now, I want to pause really quickly to make sure you're not misunderstanding me. When Christians talk about putting to death our sinful desires and whatnot, we are not saying that we as Christians can't enjoy things. Um, I think that we as Christians have a duty to enjoy creation more than unbelievers. I used to tell my uh, confirmation students that, that you as a Christian have a duty to enjoy ice cream more than non-Christians because you know who created it, right? Unless you're lactose intolerant. Find something else, right? But the point is this, is that, you know, it says in Scripture that God has richly created everything for our good, our enjoyment. We are not killjoys as Christians. It's just that um, we recognize that God has set some really good boundaries for us. And if you look at any one of the commandments, you'll see that the commandment is a boundary to protect something good. In fact, G.K. Chesterton once said that uh, within the boundary that God has created, he created his boundaries so that good things can run wild, but within a good boundary. We're talking about putting to death our desire to cross boundaries with hands, feet, eyes, you name it, right? Because whenever we cross good boundaries that God created, it might be fun for the moment, uh, but it'll, it ruins things. Um, it's a killjoy when we sin. Now, the old school word for putting to death our sinful desires, cutting off hands, feet, and tearing out eyes, is mortification. It's also the name of a moderately successful Christian heavy metal band from the early 90s, Mortification. Just, that's a good name for a heavy metal band, Mortification. Let's all say that word together, Mortification. 
There you go, mortification. It's kind of the old King James way of saying put to death. And so listen to what Paul says in Colossians 3. I'm going to read these verses. Please listen to them carefully. You might want to make a note to read these verses later in more detail. Colossians 3, 5 through 9. Paul says this. Put to death, mortify, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. And by earthly, he doesn't mean our normal, healthy human desires that God created us to have. He's talking about when those desires want to cross a boundary that God laid down. And so now, here Paul tells us what the boundaries that we would cross are. He says, put to death, mortify, therefore what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. In these once you walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. And so Paul's basically saying the same thing Jesus is saying. To, To mortify, to put to death, means to cut off the limb, to pull out the eye. Everything that Paul lists here, every vice he lists, will ruin and hurt Christian community unless each Christian puts to death, mortifies such things before they become actions, attitudes, or words. And so we as Christians have a duty toward one another to daily put to death these things before they become attitudes, actions, or words. So as we hear these words tonight, I believe that it is time for us as a community to wake up from our spiritual sleep, to come out of the darkness, and to walk toward maturity, no longer tolerating the presence of sin in our lives, no longer coddling it, or the way that sin hinders and hurts our community. The theologian John Owen once said, be killing sin or it will be killing you. And as we're in this series on reconciliation, we might add, slightly changing the quote, be killing sin or it will be killing your brother or your sister, causing little ones to stumble. Now, all of this might sound pretty morbid and negative. Die to yourself. Cut off your hands and your feet, right? But what I want you to see is this. Is that the truth is this, is that living a life of daily mortification, living a life of daily dying to sin and rising to new life is a path of joy. Because the only way that we can really experience true life and true joy is by laying our lives down. This is what Jesus means when he says, the one who finds his life will lose it but the one who loses his life will save it. And this is why he calls us to take up our crosses daily. The only way that you can experience true and lasting joy is by laying your life down. And you know this in your experience of life, right? 
You know that if you follow every impulse, desire, or temptation, you will be miserable and make a mess of your life. And so will those around you be miserable. You know that your relationships only thrive and grow by saying no to a lot of things on a daily basis. And so in the same way, the joy of Christian community grows the more we each put to death, the more we each mortify whatever is sinful in us. Christian maturity means that we realize that until the day you die, you will have an old sinful nature that you will have to put to death. Until that last breath you breathe, you're going to have an old sinful nature that you just got to hold its head under the water in baptism and then rise and live with Christ in a new life. This is why Jesus calls us to take up our crosses, to lay down our lives so that we can truly find them. And this is exactly what Jesus has done for each of us. Jesus had no sin to hide. You know that? Jesus had no hands, no feet to sever, no eyes to tear out. But still his hands and his feet were fixed to a cross for you and me. And by dying in our place, Jesus Christ has released us from the millstones that we place around our necks. And he relentlessly forgives you and heals the wounds that you create in yourself and in others. By rising from the dead, Jesus makes you and me alive and he fills us with his spirit so that we can put to death the sins that harm ourselves in our community. His victory over sin and death really gives us the courage to daily cut away limbs and tear out eyes because no matter what we lose in this life, Jesus promises that he will restore it and heal it beyond what we could ever imagine. Friends, because you are in Christ, because you are baptized into him and you are filled with his spirit and forgiven of all of your sins, you have the power by his spirit to now say no. And yes, many times we fall. But because you belong to Jesus, you don't have to lay down and just go along with it. You belong to Christ. In belonging to Christ, you have the power of the Holy Spirit to say no. And so the next time your hands or your feet or your eyes would lead you into sin, remember that Jesus took your sins in his very own body because he loved you dearly as one of his little ones. Remember that you are free. You are free in him to fight. And when you fall, confess those faults and enjoy a forgiveness that will never be held back from you. And then get back in the fight. Because friends, your victory over sin is our collective victory over sin. My victory over sin is your victory over sin. And to Christ alone be the glory. Amen. 